Disclaimer. In this chapter, we will be discussing multiple murders. Anyone discussed as a suspect is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. The details may be triggering for some listeners. This will be the only warning. Please do not listen if you are sensitive to this topic. So today I'm venturing down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. Um, shout out and thank you to one of our listeners, Cheryl, who I had already started collecting information on this, but she uh, sent us a Facebook message um, just asking if we'd heard of this case. And the answer to that is yes. And I am planning on covering it today. Um, there has really been no official connection to most of these cases. And as far as I know, there's no current suspects for these cases. But I'm gonna I'm gonna preface that with very very recent updates that are possibly connected and very exciting things going on right now in Calgary. Um, exciting. I find it very exciting <laughs> because this could this could bring closer closure to some families and to some cases. So, but we'll get into that towards the end of part one. Um, I do believe this is going to be a two-parter because I'm going to be talking about murders that happened in Calgary, uh, Canada, and then we're going to move over to some murders that happened in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and then there's one case out of Edmonton that I think deserves a little bit of a spotlight, and we're going to kind of start our part two out with Amber uh, Tuckerow's, um case. This is obviously my hometown, Calgary, and my home province, Alberta. There may be, and there may have been, an active serial killer in the area, um, with murders dating back to 1987. Their bodies were dumped in and around the city of Calgary and Edmonton. So these cities are about two and a half hours apart travel time, um, and because Bree and I are so familiar with these areas, I think we can give listeners a unique perspective on some of these cases. Um, more so myself to some of the cases in Calgary, because this is where I grew up, where we raised our kids um, north of Edmonton. So Bree might be able to um, identify maybe with the some of the areas that we're going to talk about with the Air, uh, Edmonton killings but um fair enough mm -hmm. yeah so let's get into it um so the victims were mostly working in the sex trade or lived um otherwise considered high risk lifestyles the sex workers some drug addicted whatever their lifestyle or their circumstances made these girls easy prey to this date none of these murders have been solved um i shouldn't say none there have been a couple but um one of them was actually overturned and the guy was acquitted. Um, and then another one, it, there's still questions whether or not he's actually um, guilty, but we'll get into that too. Okay. Many people do believe that there is one or was a serial killer hunting the streets of Calgary. It's difficult to list all of the victims who may have fallen prey to this killer. Um, but if a serial killer does in fact exist, um, there are approximately seven murders that share similarities that could be linked to one killer beginning around the year 1990. Um, it is indeed possible that all of the cases are unrelated, 
But given the timeline, similarities, and method of murder, and the method of disposal, obviously, it's so possible that there's one guy doing all these killings. Or girl. Or guy. Or girl. I don't know anything about this. So. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say guy. Or guys. <laughs> I don't think it's a team myself, mm. but um, I think it's very, very possible that some, if not all of these particular cases are are connected and keep in mind that i'm only including ones that have similarities in this obviously there's a lot more unsolved murders um in and around alberta yeah especially considering the highway of tears is in our province as well um but these cases that we're going to talk about are eerily similar especially the one once we get into the edmonton ones i think people are gonna raise an eyebrow as well okay so, as is usually the case in Canadian crimes, police have been really tight-lipped about there being a serial killer in Calgary. And through the years, different investigators have had um, various opinions on which victims may have been killed by the same guy. Some reports suggest that police have ruled out the theory of a serial killer altogether. A former investigator has said, I was satisfied that there was a link in two of the Calgary cases. There was enough there to link them. Several of the murders were also potentially linked um, in a summit in 1993 where the RCMP met with FBI profilers to discuss several of the cases. Findings of the summit have not been shared with the public, um, but in 2003, the RCMP developed a program called Project CARE to investigate the deaths of several vulnerable missing persons in the Edmonton area. Later, this unit was expanded and became the Alberta RCMP Missing Persons Unit. And reportedly, some of the murdered young women from Calgary are included in that project. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that each case we discuss is considered to be a cold case. And it's hard to exactly pinpoint when the murders began. But I'm going to start in 1990 with the murder of 17-year-old Joanne Schaefer. On January 10th, 1990, the body of 17-year-old Joanne Schaefer was found dumped on the side of a remote country road near 88th Street Southeast, near Shepherd Road. So can you picture in your mind where that is? Mm, no. So Southeast? Yeah. Never right? Mind. Yeah. Right. So you know how you go out to Chestermere yeah. 17th Ave? Yeah. Yeah. So out in that area? Yeah. Um. Joanne had been sexually assaulted and strangled. At the time of her murder, Joanne was a ward of the province and was living in a group home. Joanne had started running away and working in the sex trade at age 12. Wow. Eight months before Joanne was murdered, her friend Chrissy had been shot dead by a pimp. Jesus. Uh, police said Joanne's killer appears to have a history of predatory sexual aggression, and although James Arthur, who was a convicted sex offender, was charged with the first-degree murder of Joanne. He was later acquitted. That was one of the ones I was telling you about before. Therefore, technically, Joanne's case remains unsolved. The way she was murdered and dumped has similarities with a series of murders of young women that would emerge over the next few years, um, like on June 20th, 91, at approximately 8.30 a.m., 
A 14-year-old boy who was running late for school found 20-year-old Shauna Vanderbash's nude body in a ditch beside a rural road southwest of Calgary, about four, four and a half kilometers from the Pritis turnoff near Highway 20. So this is going towards Lethbridge. Okay. And did the, sorry, was the first girl also found nude? Yes. Okay. And what was the method of murder? Um, for Joanna, it didn't say. Okay. Um, specifically, I believe strangulation. Okay. Is how I read. I is how I read it. Okay. Shauna had also been strangled. Um, Shauna had lived in Vancouver for most of her life, and she only had just moved to Calgary in March of '91. She had been working as a hairdresser and allegedly was also an escort. So the night before Shauna's body was found. Um, she was hanging out with co-workers at a Calgary restaurant at approximately 9.30 p.m. She and two of her friends attended a benefit fashion show at the Tasmanian Ballroom on 12th Avenue and 1st Street in Calgary. So that's right downtown. Shauna left the fashion show around 1.30 a.m. and an acquaintance gave her a ride to the corner of Southland Drive and McLeod Trail at approximately 3.30 a.m. This is the last known sighting of Shauna, not even two months later on August 13th, 1991. The body of 16-year-old Jennifer Chance was found in a shallow grave at a construction site along the Trans-Canada Highway near Valley Ridge Road Northwest. So I just wanted to look to see. Her cause of death has never been released. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Fascinating. An autopsy determined that Jennifer had died from a heavy blow to the chest. Rumors began in Calgary that a serial killer was murdering and dumping young women in remote areas of the city. Jennifer had grown up in Calgary in a loving home. She was active in gymnastics, ballet, and track and field. She was described as kind-hearted, trusting, and an excellent student. But things changed when Jennifer failed grade 7. She dropped out of school after grade nine and moved in with various friends. Jennifer was spending most of her time on the streets, but she still maintained a relationship with her family. She would call home all the time and was always told by her mother that if she ever wanted to come home, she was welcome to. Um, in an attempt to help their daughter, Jennifer's parents sent her to a Christian Bible camp in Texas when she was 15, and that was in early 1991. After just two months, Jennifer returned home, but she seemed to do well for a while. Even becoming an active member with the youth groups, she found herself a job. She even enrolled at James Fowler High School for six weeks in February 1991. And a side note here, I also attended James Fowler High School in 1991. Um, I think about the same time, I'm not positive, I do not know Jennifer, I don't know who she is. It kind of rings a bell, but um, not a, not a hundred percent that I went to school with her. But I was at the same high school around that same time. Yeah, I did change high schools midway, so mm. I could have just missed her or whatever. But that's crazy. Interesting side note there. Um, Jennifer was still living at home though, and as time went on, she was again being drawn back into the streets of Calgary. So by July 1991, Jennifer became sick with a kidney infection and was treated at the Rocky View Hospital. Every night, her family would visit her at the hospital. And on July 12, 91, 
Uh, Jennifer called her mother, said she was going to leave the hospital and wanted to come home for supper the following week. That is the last reported sighting um, from Jennifer. Um, She was seen on the uh, security cameras walking out the front doors of the emergency room. Okay. Becoming more uneasy about a third murdered and dumped young woman in the city, Calgarians would begin to panic when just two months later, yet another young woman's body would be found in a shallow grave, just two kilometers from where Jennifer Chance's body was found. On October 6, 91, the body of 17-year-old Jennifer Joyce was found in a shallow grave near 77th Street and 13th Street Southwest. Uh, Jennifer had been missing since August when she seemingly had vanished from her group home. Uh, Jennifer was a ward of the province as well um, since 1986. At the age of 12, her mother had died in a car accident. Jennifer's teachers told the local papers that she had a tremendous potential and she was well-liked at the school. Jennifer had recently moved into an independent living facility, but like the others before her, she was drawn to the life on the streets. Um, Jennifer was reported missing August 30th, 1991. The cause of Jennifer's death has also never been released. So if it wasn't clear before, the murder of Jennifer Joyce certainly made it clear. Something was going on in less than two years. Four young women, mostly teenagers, had been abducted from the streets of Calgary, murdered and dumped in remote areas and around the city. The series of murders, though, would not end there. So approximately 18 months later, on March 10th, 1992, the skeletal remains of 29-year-old Keeley Pincott were found in a shallow grave in a wooded area two kilometers northeast of Cochrane, Alberta, off of Highway 1A. Um, Cochrane is just a short drive from Calgary. Keeley was identified through dental records and x-rays, and the cause of her death has never been released. Keeley was a mother who was working as a cocktail waitress. On May 19th of 91, Keeley spoke to her mother for the last time, Six months later, on November 19th, 91, her mother reported her missing. October 31st, 1992, the beaten and stabbed body of 26-year-old Tracy Maunder was found in a grassy field off of Garden Road, Southeast Calgary. This is another one you might um, remember. Um, Just halfway, I guess, between Calgary and Chestermere. Mm -hmm. Um, Tracy was the mother of two who was recently diagnosed with cancer and had only been working on the streets of Calgary for about six months before she disappeared. Wow. She was trying to raise enough money to buy a plane ticket for her son so that he can go and stay with his grandmother while she was going through cancer treatment. Holy shit. Tracy had been working out of a downtown hotel on the Calgary Stroll and had been talking about getting into the escort business to avoid the dangers of being on the street. So when we talk about the Calgary Stroll, this is uh, 3rd Avenue downtown. This is, since I was a kid, has always been known for basically, quote-unquote, hooker row. Brutal. On October 28, 92, Tracy's 11-year-old son, Mitchell, was at home alone in their apartment that night that she disappeared. Oh, that's so sad. It is. On March 11, 93, a man tending a field discovered partially clothed remains of 20-year-old Rebecca Boutillier in a heavily trafficked area east of McKnight Boulevard and 68th Street Northeast 
in Calgary, um, meters from a pile of roofs, shingles. Rebecca had been stabbed to death. She was born in Nova Scotia. She had moved to Calgary with her mother at just 18 months old uh, after her father died in a car accident. Allegedly, Rebecca's childhood was rocky, but she was known to be close to her mother. Uh, Rebecca's son was just 15 months old when she disappeared. Rebecca was last seen in the area of 3rd Avenue and 4th Street uh, Southwest in downtown Calgary, so the stroll. She was wearing a waist-length black suede jacket with a front zipper and leather waist, which fastened uh, with a brass knuckle. And I want you to pay attention to this now. They're, they're, for some reason, this victim had her clothes described in the information I was able to find. Oh, yeah, that's weird. This is interesting. Interesting, yeah. interesting. So hang on to this. So there was a pile of women's clothing near Rebecca's bodies. Investigators were able to track the clothing to a sex worker in the city. The woman was very reluctant, but did eventually tell police about a night she had a bad date who attacked her inside of a vehicle. The woman couldn't offer any further details and refused to press charges. The most striking similarity between these cases is the fact that all of these women were seemingly abducted off the streets of Calgary, all were murdered and either dumped in remote areas of the outskirts of the city or their bodies were found in shallow graves. Yeah, I was I was thinking about the shallow grave thing, like yeah. very similar. I think I think everybody can see the similarities. We can definitely see the connections. After all of the years that have passed since the murders began, there have been few answers. Reportedly, the Calgary Police Homicide Unit has detectives assigned to these cold cases and are regularly reviewing and re-examining them. The murders of Jennifer Chance and Rebecca Boltier are among them. Police are also trying to determine if any of the investigations can benefit from advances in DNA technology and other forensic techniques. The saddest part is the families of these women still hold out hope for justice. Mitchell Mondor, uh, who is Tracy's son, he was 11 year old um, when his mom disappeared, launched an investigation of his own when he was just a teenager. He hit the streets questioning those in the dark and dangerous world of cocaine trafficking and prostitution. His investigation led him to believe that his mother knew her killer. I previously mentioned in 1993, uh, the Calgary Task Force traveled to Edmonton for a serial killer psychological profile meeting with top FBI profilers. They examined possible links between 15 murders, including those we just talked about. Not much has ever been released from the RCMP in relation to these cases, and no findings from the summit were ever released. Weird. It is. I hate how much the RCMP hides. Hides. Shit. Because it's like, like, I get it to a certain degree, trial, blah, 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 blah. But it, it goes beyond that. You don't have anybody on I trial. know, that's what I'm saying. We it need goes more way information to help you. Yeah. And wait until we get into the Amber Tuckero investigation. Like I mentioned before, in 2003, the RCMP started a project called CARE. This was after examining 82 seemingly similar unresolved cases in Western Canada. 
Project CARE was initially set up to investigate the deaths of several vulnerable missing persons in the Edmonton area. And like I said before, it later expanded to include all of Alberta. It was the Alberta RCMP Missing Persons Unit, and several of the murdered young women from Calgary area included in this project, but to date, none of the cases have yet to be solved. Meantime, interestingly, police have admitted there is a serial killer uh, hunting the streets of Edmonton. Some people, myself included, think it's even possible that the same killer has struck in Calgary and then in Edmonton. Like these, these cities are two and a half, three hour drive away, one highway. It's a straight shot. It's a pleasant drive. We do it quite often. I, I don't see any reason to rule that possibility out. I really yeah, don't. No, it's definitely a possibility. Yep. Yeah. So that brings us to a few theories that are floating around. Uh, one possible subject that was investigated in the Calgary murders, who was a pimp from Lethbridge um, named Barry Thomas Bidermere. Bider. Bidermere. <laughs> Bidermere. In 1991, Bidermere was convicted of trafficking a 14-year-old girl in B.C. who he had met in Calgary. For this crime, he served just 14 months in jail. Um, in 2000, he was charged with 14 offenses against seven Vancouver sex trade workers, but no evidence has ever been found to connect him to the murders in Calgary or Edmonton. Another possible suspect in at least two of these murders, um, specifically Tracy Mondor and Rebecca, is Luke Gregoire, a convicted killer. This guy I remember quite well. Uh, the connection was made by uh, John Allor, who is a crime writer, um, in a book called Wish You Were Here. Luke Gregoire had abducted Leilani Silva from her job as a convenience store clerk at a 7-Eleven on Rundlehorn Drive, Northeast. Mm. Do you remember that? Do you know where that is? Of course I know where it is. <laughs> right? That's... Uh... My yeah. grandmothers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and another interesting side note, I lived, I grew up right off of Rundlehorn Drive in 1993. Like, I was right there. Um, after abducting her, Gregor raped and strangled Leilani and dumped her body in a ditch along 80th Avenue, Northeast. He also did time in Edmonton for armed robbery and also worked as a roofer in Calgary. A connection emerged between several unsolved murders in Calgary. They now believe that Gregoire is responsible for at least two unsolved sexual homicides of young women in Calgary, um, like I said before, the Tracy and Rebecca cases. He died, though, in 2015 in a Quebec prison where he was serving time for Leilani's murder. Um, there is another theory that floats around among people that the serial killer from Calgary either moved to Edmonton or always resided in Edmonton and is the same person. Yeah. Yeah. Which, like I said, I, especially after doing this, I am part, I am on board. We'll see where I land. <laughs> so the Globe and Mail did an in-depth investigation report that identified 49 cases since 1986. The collection is in no way representative of the larger number of female homicides in Edmonton during the same period. It may have 
um, overlooked relevant cases. But these 49 cases shared striking characteristics and the cases of the girls found um, in what some are calling the Edmonton killing fields. There's just a small portion of them that I'm going to go over here and only because they're connected in my mind the MO and how they were found and where they were found. Mm -hmm. So RCMP Staff Sergeant Gerard McNeil with Project Care has told the Edmonton Sun in 2012 that he is convinced a serial killer is still on the loose despite convictions in some of the cases. Um, most of the cases that the Globe and Mail looked into bear similarities to the Highway of Tears murders that run through Alberta and British Columbia. At least 82 at-risk women have disappeared along that section of highway, the Yellowhead Highway. It also parallels the case of Robert Picton, who was found guilty of killing dozens of prostitutes from Vancouver's downtown east side um, at his pig farm. So he's the pig farmer. That's the big one. That's yeah. the big one. Yeah. Some of the missing and murdered sex workers that may be linked to a serial killer in the Edmonton area, and these are the ones that I think could be the same dude that killed those women in Calgary. August 2010, Amber Tookero reported missing. Her remains were found on a rural property near Leduc two years later. So Amber's case is huge. And that's that case is how I'm going to start part two of this. Um, because I, I feel like we've, we've actually got audio in that case. There's, there's a way to solve that case. In March 2006, the body of Bonnie Joan Jack was discovered by two teenagers. The 37-year-old woman was last seen on March 2nd, 2006 um, at the Prostitution Awareness and Action Foundation of Edmonton. So keep in mind, all of these ones, most of these ones, um, happened after Project Care started. So the police had actually collected hair and DNA from these women and pictures just in case. On January 25th of 2005, a 19-year-old Samantha Berg was found frozen to the ground under a mound of snow. In June 2004, the body of Rachel Quinney was found dumped in a Strathcona County um, ditch. These are Edmonton, remember. Um, May 2004, Dolores Dawn Brower, who was 33, was last seen attempting to hitch a ride. Her remains were found the following April. Uh, May 9th, 2004, Corey Ottenbright, who was 27, was last seen leaving her husband and child to work the streets. Her remains were found in Leduc County. Um, July 2003, the badly decomposed body of Katie Sylvia Ballantyne uh, was found in a Leduc County field nearly three months after she was last seen. She was 40 years old and addicted to crack, also worked as a prostitute. Seeing a connection here, something about the fields of Leduc, which happens to be on the furthest south side of Edmonton, which would cut that trip from Calgary um, to Leduc County, say to just under two and a half hours. Just and saying. if not connected to the Calgary murders, they definitely seem related to each other for sure. Right. September 2002, the body of Edna Bernard 
was found burned in Leduc. The 28-year-old worked as a prostitute to feed her cocaine habit and was last seen alive by one of her regular customers who dropped her off in Edmonton a few hours earlier. Um, so now we're going backwards a little bit. October 1989, the body of Bernadette um, Akinu uh, was found in a ditch. She was last seen on September 27, 1989, when she left her common-law husband to turn a trick for drug money. What does that mean? Turn a trick means get a date. Uh, I was like, is Prostitute. she doing something, doing no. something extra for that money? No. Doing a trick? No, that's just what they refer to their johns or their customers as, turning a trick. Turn a trick. Yeah, and she was 22 at that time. So like I said before, I think the high, most high profile of these cases was Amber Tukaro. Um, this actually has audio of the suspected killer's voice, and it was released to the public to try to identify the man. In part two, I will cover Amber's case, but as for the Calgary and Edmonton serial killer, what do you think? I think, I think we have a definite possibility of some connections, similarities for sure. Interesting potential development, though, has happened in the last couple of weeks as of this recording um, on a property just east of Calgary. This is the exciting news that okay. I was talking about. Pardon? It's okay. Because I was ready to like give my opinion, but there's some more to do with it. There's some more to feed into this. Ooh, okay. So get this. Richard Robert Mantha, who's 59 years old, is now facing a litany of criminal charges related to the kidnapping, drugging, and sexual assault of multiple sex workers. The charges were announced just last week at the time of this writing, so April 13th, were laid after a lengthy investigation by Calgary Police and the RCMP at an acreage east of Chestermere. Um where Mantha is accused of taking victims after drugging and kidnapping them from Calgary. Uh, the search happened from April 6th to the 12th, so it just wrapped up. At the time of his arrest, Mantha had three outstanding warrants for charges of sexual assault, assault causing bodily harm, and failing to attend. Police said those charges were in RCMP jurisdiction, um, but didn't offer a specific location. Okay. Possibly Leduc. Maybe. Never know. Maybe, maybe. So, on April 21st, so... A couple of days ago. <laughs> this was literally a couple of days ago now. I was able to find and read the search warrant affidavit, and it is shocking. The police expected to find illicit drugs, firearms, knives, and human remains. Wow. Specifically mentioned in the document were a pig mask, bodily substances, DNA, pubic hair, a cell phone, a knife, clothing belonging to one of the victims, and a sex toy. That's what they were expecting to find, or that is what they found? That's what they had listed in the search warrant affidavit. So we do not know what they took. Okay. Um, but with the clothing... Belonging to one of the victims. I would like to rewind to the fact that those in that one case, 
clothes that belonged to a different sex worker were found close to the body of a murder victim. Do you remember this? And I said, remember that? So why does he have clothing from another sex worker victim who's not dead? Well, the way that I was maybe perhaps thinking about it, if not related to that, would be that one of those people that they that he drugged and assaulted was left without their clothes and mm-hmm. ditched, <coughs> sent away. Yeah. Or maybe in different clothes, his clothes or something like that. The police, uh, or the affidavit also said that the police expected that the evidence collected would also lead to a charge of indignation of a human body. Um, the search warrant said that they expected to find the evidence in the Quonset outbuildings on the property and in Mantha's 98 black GMC Sierra truck. Um, police collected over a thousand pieces of evidence, um, though we don't know if they found everything that was listed or what exactly they took out a thousand over a thousand thousand. pieces that's interesting for sure wow wow so currently he's facing 16 charges i'll keep everyone updated if any of the connections are found with any of the unsolved homicides um the police did have a cadaver dog during the search but none of the charges seem to show any remains or evidence of murder were found i do know that there were bullet holes found in the side of the Quonset. And mm-hmm. so inside the Quonset, he had his fifth wheel trailer where he was living. Um, there were bullet holes in the side of that. Um, he heated the place with a wood stove that he had cut a hole in the top of the Quonset and just ran pipe through. Um, this so, is yeah. kind of reminding me of the Green River Killer. It is... Um, like but, no, it like is reminding me of the Green River Killer. Yeah, prostitution. The mm-hmm. the finding it later. Mm-hmm. So, and this guy's fifty nine years old. And if we do the math, he is he would have been old enough even in nineteen eighty seven to commit some of these crimes. He would have been early twenties. Oh yeah. So I wouldn't For rule sure. it out. And like I said, it would be exciting if we. Find if we find out guy. that this guy is the guy, yeah. Um, there is there is one other suspect that I'm going to talk a little bit in part two, but he's mostly a suspect for um, a good suspect for some of the Edmonton ones. But the police mm. are aware of him, have never pressed charges. Um, but we'll get into him in the next part. Yeah, so definitely join us later this week for part two. Um, This is a really good spot to end off. Yeah. And I hate doing two-parters. I really do. But um, we can't have them too long. It must be done. Mm -hmm. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. If you don't mind giving us a five-star rating, it will help our show grow. Check out our TikTok where you can find interesting photos and content on all released episodes. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube at True Crime Story Podcast where the discussion can continue. If you wish to contact us, you may do so via email at truecrimestorypod at gmail.com. I'm Bree. And I'm Sean. And we will see you on the next chapter. Bye. Bye.